book of James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 21 today. Uh, but before I read the passage, let me, uh, let me introduce the sermon or have an introduction for the sermon. Uh, the sermon is entitled Living Peaceably with Others. Now, obviously from the title, you can gather that this is a sermon that talks about living in humility, uh, living in um, unity. Uh, these are all things that are talked to us and told us, uh, told to us from the Bible. Uh, we are told to, uh, that we are a body of Christ, and so there, there should be some sense of harmony amongst its members. And um, James chapter 1 here teaches us about anger and about how, uh, how anger plays a role in disunity. And uh, it, this is a transition, if you will, within the first chapter of James, because if you look at verses 2 through 18, in general, we were talking about the testing of our faith. Now we transition into what true religion is, and that's true religion is, is uh, taught and defined in verses 19 through 27. Uh, and by true religion, when James mentions it, he means what it is that pleases God. And the thing about anything when it comes to God, especially the term religion, you know, no one gets to define what true religion is except for God. Uh, we, we don't. Um, only God does. So I know in the past, and maybe even today, I don't hear so much of it anymore, but I know I've heard it in the past where there was this movement to separate religion and relationship, so to speak, with God. And religion is seen as just abiding by rules. So, if you will, religion is seen as being pharisaical, okay, just following, following the law. And the other side, relationship, is more as seen to be like a discipleship or, or, or more intimate relationship with God. Well, although this might sound biblical and might sound cool, it's unbiblical. And it's unbiblical definition of what religion is. Uh, James, guided by the Holy Spirit, he defines what true religion is in verses 19 through 27. Uh, number one, he says true religion is being a hearer of God's word. And then number two, he says being a true religion is being a doer of God's word. So that's what, in essence, that's what true religion is, being a hearer of God's word and being a doer of God's word. Um, true religion is living to know him as well as abiding in him. So it's both. Uh, the way God defines religion is us obeying his commands. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. But there's also the other side where we have a relationship with the loving God. And we are his and he is ours. So true religion involves both of those. Um, that's why I say it's living to know him as well as abiding in him. Well, this first section of what true religion is, it, it, it's a difficult topic for us to talk about because we all struggle with sin, but this is probably one of those sins that everybody can shake their head in agreement that they struggle with it. And it's the anger of man. That's the first topic that we will tackle in regards to true religion. And here is the, the sermon uh, summary, if you will. But it says, if we practice, if we are to practice true religion, we must guard our hearts against unrighteous anger. Okay. 
If we are going to please God, in other words, then we must guard our hearts against unrighteous anger. Let me read the passage and then we'll get into what I mean. Uh, Starting in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant, rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Amen. So I'd like to break up this passage. It breaks up pretty nice and neatly into three different points, three different passages, three different scriptures for three different points, or three different verses for three different points. Uh, the, verse, the first verse, uh, verse 19, I, I like to label that as a plan to escape unrighteous anger, okay? Because uh, I believe that's what James is trying to do and trying to teach us, that there is a way to escape unrighteous anger. Uh, the Bible teaches us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to men. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So anytime we are tempted, uh, we talked about this whenever we talked about the testing of our faith. I used this passage in one of those sermons. But anytime we are tested, anytime we are tempted, rather, um, there is a way out that God provides for us. Uh, we get to choose to take that or not. And, and so even with anger, a lot of us, we choose not to take that way out. And then we say we had no choice but to get angry, right? We, we kind of pin ourselves in a corner and, and we say, and basically what we're trying to do is say, that wasn't my fault. Um, this, this outside circumstance Force me to react that way. Well, if we are true to scripture, God provides a way of escape no matter what the situation is so that we can endure the temptation. Well, in verse 19, James provides the church with the way of escape when it comes to unrighteous anger. Um, I like the plan, so to speak, that he uses. He says, number one, if we are going to escape from unrighteous anger, number one, be quick to hear. Be quick to hear. Now, I tell you this, if we were better hearers, we would be able to avoid a lot of issues. And that really goes for all of us. Uh, and James, not- he, he notices that and, and about human nature. And he says, hey, if you're going to follow any plan, if you are going to escape unrighteous anger, you need to be quick to hear. Well, the word hear it means both hearing and listening. Uh, there's, no, there, there's no distinction or difference between the two with this word, and that's defined in the Greek. But today we tend to separate the two. We say hearing is having an awareness of sound. So you, you hear something, but you're really not paying attention. You're like, I heard that. Did you hear that? Right? That's what we use that word for. And then listening means that you're paying attention to a specific sound. And some are better at listening than others, and that's how we define that. And in reality, what we say is that it's selective hearing, right? There are some things that you hear, and then there are some things that you listen to, right? Um, I get blamed for that all the time, the selective hearing part. But, but biblically, it's the same word. I, I don't want us walking out of here thinking like, okay, I, 
I, I just have to hear, I don't have to listen. Like, there's no distinction between the two. It's, it's the same word, okay? So it's, it's listening to something to understand it. Or you could say it's hearing something to understand it. Um, I, yeah, I don't want us to walk away with that misunderstanding. But when you look at hearing, hearing is the first half of proper communication. A lot of people want to get better at communicating, well, if you want to get better at communicating, especially you, if you communicate, you're communicating either one-on-one or one to however, whatever the ratio is. But if you want to be a better communicator, you have to learn how to listen. When people say, I want to get better at communicating, what they really mean is, I want to get better at speaking, right? That's what I want to. I need to work on my speaking so that people can understand me better. Well, if you worked on your hearing, you would automatically be a better speaker, right? Because you would know what to say and when to say it. And then on the flip side of it, you would know when to be quiet, right? And a lot of us, can, we can learn that. We can learn when to be quiet. So the first, it's the first half of proper communication. I like to say it's married to speaking. So hearing and speaking, imagine them as being married. But you know what the problem is? Hearing and speaking are unequally yoked many times, right? Because they just can't get along. They can't get along in our relationships, in our marriages. They can't get along because why? Because they're not working in unison. They're not working together. They're doing their own thing. And then there's bickering and fighting and division and all kinds of ungodly things. Um, Hearing, if we are not quick to hear... We cannot understand or we cannot truly understand what the other person is saying. And that's why James starts with that. He says, listen, if you're going to have control over your anger, you have to be better listeners. You have to be quick to hear. Now, hearing also is not only listening to the speaker's words, but understanding or trying to understand the one who speaks. That's an important part about hearing because someone can just say something and you have to learn how to read in between the lines of them communicating. The only way you can properly read in between the lines if you know, if, is if you know that person. That's why communicating is so difficult when you first meet somebody. When you first meet somebody, you're getting to know them. So you're learning who they are so then therefore you can understand them better. If you're in a marriage first year, you're not going to hear each other very well. Amen? But by year 30, you should be able to hear each other well. But what happens? It doesn't happen that way. Because, again, that's not something that we want to do. We don't want to be quick to hear. But yet, that's where we need to start. So if you want to improve your marriage relationship, you want to improve your communication with others, you want to get a hold of your anger, James says, start with listening. Secondly, be slow to speak. Now, the other half of hearing is speaking. And when you look at a relationship, usually, especially a relationship that has trouble, we say hearing and speaking are are married. They're in a marriage together. And if you look at a relationship, sometimes you'll see a relationship where One gets, they're both at fault, but one gets the bad rap. Speaking gets the bad rap most of the time when it comes to hearing and speaking. And the reason why is because it's more noticeable. 
And James says that we must be quick to hear, but slow to speak. Uh, I want to use the illustration of harmonizing with somebody. Not that I know anything about that, but I thought it was really a really good illustration to put everything together. To harmonize with somebody, and again, I, I, I experience this rarely, but I can look at a book and see the, what the definition is. To harmonize with somebody in singing is when a, when a person basically is singing along with someone else. Um, but to harmonize with someone, it's to make that other voice, to enhance it, to make it better, uh, to, to sing in unity, if you will. In order to harmonize with somebody, a person must hear the harmony before they can sing it, right? It, we're not going to be able, and that's my problem, I, I can't hear the, the harmony, I can't hear the note, so it's either that or I just don't have the, the capability to, to actually sing what I'm hearing. I'm hearing something different than I'm singing. And so when it comes to communication, in order for us to truly have harmony with somebody else, we have, to, we have to hear it first, and then we have to think about it, digest it, and then we speak. And that's what James is getting at. If you want to get a hold of your anger, you got to go through that process of listening. you got to go through the process of hearing. you got to give that person the benefit of the doubt, especially if it's somebody within the body of Christ. All that is going into the processing of all the information that you're getting so that you can be slow to speak. But what is it that we do? We don't listen and then we hurry up and speak. And then what happens? Then we just start speaking at each other. No one's listening. We're speaking at each other, past each other. It's like having a gunfight and you're not really even taking aim. You just have this automatic weapon, it's on on, and you're just firing away, right? You're just firing away at each other, and, and whatever hits, hits. Well, when you, have, when you have that, obviously there's going to be collateral damage. And, and, and that's what's dangerous. Um, the point is, speaking more than listening, it can be dangerous. The Bible says in Proverbs 10, chapter, 9, or chapter 10, verse 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. See, when our mouths outrun our ears, we are in jeopardy of falling into unrighteous anger. Um, when you have two people talking at each other, there is going to be collateral damage. The, the Bible says that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Well, to quench the tongue's fire, we must be quick to hear and slow to speak. And then the third thing James says is we have to be slow to anger. So notice what he doesn't say or what he doesn't do. James did not identify anger in itself as bad. Look at the text. He says, be slow to anger. In other words, he didn't say Thou shalt not be angry. Didn't say that. Um, even the Bible in other places uh, tells us that it's possible for us to be angry and yet not sin. Ephesians chapter 4, 26 through 27. Be angry and do not sin. I told you. Be angry, do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. That's the, the challenge that we have before us. Uh, the command is to be slow to anger. Uh, it reminds me of when Early was a little baby. In between being a baby and a toddler, um, we used to drive, as we were driving down the road, we would drive through traffic lights. And she would see a traffic light and she would see green. And she says, green means go, right? And then we thought it was all cute and everything. And then she'd see red. She'd say, red means stop. And then if she ever saw yellow, she's like, yellow means slow down. That's what she would say every time. Real deep voice. That, that's what this reminds me of, right? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's great advice, but that's hard to practice. We have to remind ourselves because that just does not come natural. Why? Because we want to defend ourselves we want to make everything right for ourselves. We want to prove the other person wrong. But you see, that's all dedicated to self. What does that have to do with unity? What does that have to do with the body of Christ? That's the opposite. That's selfishness. And James is saying, no, we have to work on unity. We have to work on not, being, not having unrighteous anger towards one another. So again, the command is for us to be slow to anger. Slowing down our anger allows us the opportunity to ensure that it's righteous. Whenever we are quick to listen, slow to speak, we are slow to anger. It's like that, it's like that, that needle for temperature. It's slowly going up, right? And, and if it comes to the point where anger is needed, then it's going to be the right kind of anger. But if it goes from zero to red, it's probably not going to be the right kind of anger. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. See, the old, the old rule of thumb is that we should be angry at what angers God. That's what we should be angry at. Being slow to anger, it ensures that we are doing that. God is angered by sin, idolatry, sexual perversion, injustice, child sacrifice, all these different things. That's where God says he is ang that's what he is angered by in the Bible. Those are the things that should anger us. Um, when we are angry because we didn't get our way or because we didn't get something we wanted, that is unrighteous anger. Why? Because it's all about us. It's all about us. And nothing about the person that we are quarreling with or it's nothing about God. It's that we are offended ourselves. That's what we must avoid at any age. It's, it's really interesting that in society, there is a pass given to babies, and then there is a pass given to those who are more seasoned, if you will. With babies, it's like, hey, just, just let them throw their fit. It's okay. 
they, you know, they're cute. They'll learn eventually. No, they're little sinners that need to learn to control their anger. Yeah, they need to learn to control their anger. That is not cute, right? It's not cute. Why? Because that is not the image of God, right? So then we kind of give them a pass, and then what do they grow up? If we never correct them, they grow up to be angry people. They grow up to be spoiled kids. But then on the other side, you get to a certain age and you're like, you know what? I've been through it all. I'm already who I am. You can't change who I am. You're going to have to accept me the way I am. And then you you get so old, you think you can just say what you want, do what you want, and just get away with it. Not that way, right? It goes both ways. God does not excuse that at all. So one way or the other, the fact is he just doesn't excuse anger. There is no excuse for it. So we, as God's people, must be, we must follow that plan. If we are going to get a hold of our anger, if we are not going to practice unrighteous anger, then we must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But then verse 20, Paul tells us the reason, or not Paul, James tells us the reason we should avoid unrighteous anger. He does the, he, I like what James does here because he just doesn't say, hey, this is what you do, and, and then that's it. And, and the reason why that's important is because that would just be behavior modification. That, that's all that would be. If we all we had was this plan, and I were to wrap it up right now, we would walk out and say, okay, okay, I can do this. Right? I can do this. I can be quick to hear, slow to speak. Right and slow the anger, but then all of a sudden we'll realize we can't do it, or we walk out of here and say I can do this, but not know why you should do it. Well, James, being the theologian that he is, because of the the the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, gets down to the heart of the matter. He's like, do this, but listen, this is why. Um, in verse twenty, James states that we should avoid the sin of unrighteousness because it, it, it produces something in us that is really horrible. He says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's why we need to avoid it. It does not produce the righteousness of God. So if it does not produce the righteousness of God, then what does it produce? Well, the complete opposite. It produces sin. And if it goes, sin goes unchecked, then it's death, spiritual death, right? So we need to be careful about unrighteous anger because it is not godly. God has set a target of holiness for us to aim for. When we miss that target, we sin against God. Since we were made in the image of God, we must strive to be godly in every way. When we look at the nature of God, he is not a God of unrighteous anger. The Bible says that he is full of mercy and grace, yet he is holy. Yet he is a God of justice, and yet he gets angry. He is all those things perfectly. And that's what we must strive to be. He is also long-suffering. We know that because he's long-suffering with us. Why? So that we will not be destroyed. Therefore, we 
must be gracious, merciful, long-suffering towards each other. See, Jesus set an example for us in every way. I, it's amazing watching Jesus' life and, and how he interacted with others, especially how Scripture doesn't hold anything back. You think, just because I say Jesus set the perfect example of anger, you think, well, that means he just never got angry. Well, that wasn't the case. When people made a mockery of God's house, his house of worship, he drove them out with a, with a whip, and he was flipping over tables. Yet, it was not counted as sin, but it was counted as righteous anger. His heart was pure, and his actions were just. There is a place for righteous anger. But when it's selfish, when it's self-serving, when it's those things, then it does not produce the righteousness of God. But also, in another instance, Jesus said the following, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Jesus compared anger to murder. Why? Because both are born in the heart of man. Murder is the seed of reckless anger. See, that's why anger is such a tough thing. We think anger is the expression that is coming out. The, the, the yelling, the, the stern face, um, the pitiful attitude, everything that goes along with anger. We think, oh, that's anger. But in reality, that's the display of anger. Anger is in here. And, and so we'll change our behavior because it, as Christians, we know what's well, not right or it's not proper to be angry. So this is what we're going to do when we're in front of everybody and when we're in front of each other, we're not going to display that because we know that's wrong. We've been taught for a very long time. Do not show that side of yourself. Do not be angry. But the problem is, is here. It's right here. So even though we don't display the anger, we've become, you know, we, we've gotten really good at, at, at holding that back. But yet in our hearts, we have hate for our brother and sister in Christ. But as soon as we go home and we get around people we're comfortable with, what happens? That display starts to come out. We have no problem holding back. There, we, we, we let it fly. And, and we end up hurting the people that we love the most. And even when we start to try to control that, yet there's this, there's this, this emotion, there's this feeling, there's this whatever it is in our hearts that still exists even though we smile at people. See, anger is born in the heart and that is it's danger. We must control that. That is what produces unrighteousness. So it's more than just not doing something. It's more than just not cursing. It's more than just not yelling. Because that's what people focus on. It's relying on Christ to change your heart so that you will not be a selfish person and get angry about everything. 
That, that's what that's about. Unrighteous anger is a great danger to ourselves and also to the church. When we see and look at God and the example he sets, it's a wonderful thing for us to follow. But if we are going to follow in the footsteps of Christ, it's going to have to be a genuine walk with God. It's going to have to be not something that's done all on our effort, but it's going to have to be a reliance on him to change us. Um, I have a quote from one of the commentaries I was looking at as I was preparing this sermon, but uh, this comes from the Reform Expository Commentary, and it says, a very short quote, but I think it gets to the heart of the matter. It says, sadly, our anger is often burdened with self-importance self-assertion, intolerance, and stubbornness. I read that part and I said, amen, hallelujah, that is me. That is me. That was from uh, Richard Phillips. See, that is the anger that Jesus and James warn us to stay away from. Self-serving anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. So we heard the plan we also heard the reason why we should avoid anger. And then I'll wrap it up with this. James says in verse 21 that true anger, or true religion, not true anger, true religion is walking in meekness. See, there has been a lot said about what we need to do to combat unrighteous anger. None of it happens without the right posture of the heart. It starts with our heart. Jesus said that if we are to follow him, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and then we follow him. I always, I always enjoy and, and I'm challenged by that first, the, first, the first part of that command right there, that we should deny ourselves. That has always struck a chord with me. To deny ourselves means to walk in humility or meekness, towards God and each other. And James says something similar in verse 21. He says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. See, James establishes that we are to stay away from sin and only the word of God can do that for us. The word of God is our authority, but then it's also our saving grace. We must receive it with meekness in order to obey it. And if you understand meekness from a biblical sense, meekness is not weakness. A lot of times we think to be meek is to be weak, to be meek is to be quiet, to be meek is to let somebody just walk all over you. That, that is not what, the, what that word means Meekness is not weakness, rather it is power under control. In the biblical context, meekness is power under God's control. So we are who we are in Christ, but the Bible is the bit that goes into our mouths. It is what controls us. It is what calms us. It is what drives us, or it should be at least, to do 
what we do. Um, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To walk in meekness means to be patient with others. But most of all, to walk in meekness means to trust in the Lord, especially in the area of his justice. We need to know that whatever happens to us, whatever happens to us or any way we are offended, that vengeance is God's. What God has commanded us to do is to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and be slow to anger. Well, meekness allows us to do that. It allows us to put our egos, check our egos at the door, and try to establish unity instead of disunity. Meekness allows us to humble ourselves before God and also others as we wait on God to exalt us at the right time. That's what we're called to, and that's, what, that's the way we should live. Now, you can walk away from this sermon, and you're probably going to walk away from it like I did. You're going to walk away from it feeling the gravity, feeling the, the enormity of the responsibility, and also the inability to do this by yourself. That's where we come, and we trust in the Lord for it. That's where we come to God and we pray, Lord, help me to have mercy upon my enemy. Help me not to return anger for anger or sin for sin. Lord, help me to get a control of my unrighteous anger. Give me a heart that is angry with what you're angry with. And give me a heart that is joyful at what you are joyful at. We must rely on Christ to help us in this area, just like all other areas in our lives. Let us pray.